on the Apostles' Creed. What in the world is the Apostles' Creed? Some of you grew up with it. Some of you did it like robots and said it with, without real passion or conviction. And so we're revisiting the Apostles' Creed. What is it? It's basically a very rich summary of the Christian faith in biblical language. That's it. Why are we looking at this? I'm going to speak more about this, but really it deepens our worship and empowers our witness. Deepens our worship and empowers our witness. God knows at a time like this, I want to talk briefly about our context that we're in now. Why would we revisit the Apostles' Creed in a time like this? As you look around, as you hear things, as you see what is swirling around us, Culturally, we revisit things like the Apostles' Creed, the biblical truth. Friends, we're increasingly in a post-Christian context. I've mentioned before, I call it Neo-Babylon. It's the new Babylon. Would you agree with me? There's some unprecedented things going on right now culturally, and, and, and I'm not going negative at all. Again, we're people of the kingdom. I'm being realistic here. I'm not being pessimistic. I'm being realistic and acknowledging that we're in a new Babylon and I'm expecting God to raise up and form Daniels and Daniela's in Babylon. So it really took Babylon to form Daniel who had the extraordinary spirit and who brought light and revelation into that kingdom. So some of the things that are swirling around right now. There's a bunch of isms, and it really reinforces why we're looking at the Apostles' Creed, biblical truth, so that we can craft a biblical worldview, a view of God, a view of ourselves, a view of what God is doing. Paganism is a return to this. It's big time. It's in the music. It's in the movies. It's a return to kind of pre-Christian nature worship. There's confusion all around. I've seen it especially the last 15 years when I was teaching college. I just watched the, the tide of this rise and the interest of my students in the occult and witchcraft and these things. Another ism, Marxism, that's in the environment. I could go on and on about this, but Marxism is essentially bring revolution overthrow the existing systems and Marx actually used the words proletariat which meant the working class it's time for the working folks to rise up and overthrow the bourgeois those in control those in power and friends it never works you show me one place one time in history where Marx's ideas worked they did not work and so in the face of Marxism, we hold up the Apostles' Creed. And we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in his Son, Jesus Christ. So paganism, Gnosticism, and Marxism, many things. Uh, Marx hated religion. He viewed Christianity especially as a drug, an opium. And he said, we've got to get rid of of this drug and remove it from the people and replace it with this political ideology. And we say, no, that's not gonna happen. In the face of this, we're going to 
return to our roots, our rich, powerful Christian roots. Another ism, scientism. Just bear with me a minute here, and then we're going to drill down into the Apostles' Creed. But this, again, helps us see some of the contact. Scientism, explaining everything via science. So we can explain it all, and science becomes a new religion, doesn't it? Who needs God when you can look at the universe and fully understand it? I've got friends that espouse this. And frankly, it's a new religion. So you're replacing one religion with another. And friends, we don't even understand the human person. The human person is a mystery. And so I find the new scientism and the new atheism that comes along with it rather naive and ridiculous. We need the Apostles' Creed. And friends, all of these various things lead, again, I'm not being pessimistic, I'm being realistic. All these various views, when you remove God and you remove truth and you say everything's relative and I'm working this out for myself, all of this leads to something called the abyss. And so people 80 years ago were seeing this cultural moment that we're in right now and saying, wake up. Because all of these isms lead into the abyss of nihilism. We need God, don't we? Amen? We need God. We need his truth. And so, therefore, we're looking at the Apostles' Creed. We need to realize and deepen our roots. What do I mean by that? We have roots as Christians. We don't have to grow them or search for them or make them happen. So this morning, I want you to realize that you have roots, biblically, historically. And if you think about how trees endure great storms, it's because of deep roots. And friends, we've got them. I also want to say this. I've got some friends that grew up Protestant, and some of them have move toward the Catholic Church or the Eastern Orthodox Church, and that is for them to work out with God, right? But what I want to say, many of them feel rootless as Protestant evangelicals, and they're like, where are my roots? I know a little bit about what happened 500 years ago in the Reformation, but before that, I don't know anything. And so part of looking into this, our Lord's Community Church, we have roots as Protestants, and we can appreciate all the different traditions and streams in the church. And by looking at something like the Apostles' Creed, we realize our roots, we have appreciation for the other churches, the other traditions, and that kind of romanticizing of the Catholic Church or the Eastern Orthodox Church is addressed. Does that make sense? I myself, about 15 years ago, was learning things about the church, about traditions, and as an evangelical Protestant, I felt rather rootless. I was like, what? I, the richness. Where is the richness? And so, as a church, I want us to revisit the richness of our Christian roots. And as we go deeper into those things, it enriches our worship and it empowers our witness. One thing I'm going to be mentioning in the coming weeks, this was a saying, 
in the early church. And it was this. Listen to this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. I'm going to say it again, okay? And this deals with our doctrine, with our practice. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity or love. So what we're going to see is that the Apostles' Creed not only enriches our worship, reminds us who God is, leads us into the study of Scripture with fresh eyes, it empowers our witness to share the gospel with other people, but it also shows us how are we unified with other Christians out there. And so we're going to be talking regularly about is it creedal? Is it in the creed? So make sense in a few minutes, but oftentimes, friends, even in a moment like this, people try to put things into the essentials and they don't belong there. Can you think of some of those right now? And it forces the church to infight, forces the church to deviate, forces the church to get into the weeds. And so by visiting and revisiting the Apostles' Creed, we see what is essential. What did Christ emphasize? What were the essentials of his teaching? What were the essentials of the apostles? What are our essentials to be? Because God knows we like to take the secondary and make it primary. And so the Apostles' Creed is like a chiropractic working on our mind and heart. This is what is essential. So as we look at this, we're going to see that it's equipping us in new ways. It's basically distilling all the words of Scripture. There's a million words in the Bible, about one million. And the Apostles' Creed boils it down to 100. And so the Apostles' Creed becomes kind of like a roadmap that we can use as we study Scripture, as we grow, as we make disciples, as we evangelize. This becomes like a map for us. It's going to answer questions like, who is God? Who is Jesus? Who's the Holy Spirit? What is the church? What do we mean about salvation? What do we mean about the end times? As we were seeing this morning, revisiting the essentials fuels worship, doesn't it, Brad? And Chris and others, we want to sing the truths of Scripture back to God in the presence of God. It fuels our worship. The other thing, friends, the essentials, the Apostles' Creed, keeps us going in really, really tough times. It's the truth, clinging to God and his word that gets us through. Anybody feel that at times where you're absolutely empty, you're hopeless, you open the scriptures, you begin to pray, and you cling to God and his word? David said this in Psalm 119. He said, if your law, if your word had not been my delight, I would have perished. I will never forget your word. By it, you revive me. So things like the Apostles' Creed and the truths of Scripture empower and fuel our worship. The Apostle Peter says this, I don't have a slide for it, but in 1 Peter 3.15, he says this, and this is part of what the Apostles' Creed empowers us to do. Peter says this, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. 
always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And so knowing the Apostles' Creed, working through it, being formed by it, letting it go to work on us, helps us explain to other people what the essence of the Christian faith is. Friends, it's time to raise up future warriors, isn't it? And so part of this, you may say, well, I already know this. Well, it's not just about you, friends. It's about young people. It's about new believers. And so if you think that you know it, then who are you mentoring and who are you discipling? That would be my question. Well, man, I already know these statements in the Apostles' Creed. Well, I would say, well, get busy. Make disciples. But the truth is, all of us can revisit these things. Whether you're 85 or 12, these are the deep mysteries of the Christian faith. And there's something beautiful and fresh always inviting us into it. So what I want to do here, I want to, we're going to spend time in the first phrase of the Apostles' Creed. And I thought, well, maybe we'll, we'll say it today. I think we'll say it next week. So I want to introduce a little bit of it. A little historical background. How does that sound? Sound okay? If you said no, well, sorry, you're along for the ride. The historical background of the Apostles' Creed. This has been around about 1,800 years. And again, the Apostles' Creed is like a distillation. It's like taking phrases from the Bible and weaving them together so that the church can say it and so that the church can be formed by it. You know what's interesting it's not even a new idea. There are creeds in Scripture. So I want you to take out your Bible and look at this very quickly. You can write these things down. I encourage you over the next several weeks to bring your Bible, bring a notepad, bring a pen. You can take notes in your phone if you want, but then you're tempted to get on there and see who's saying what and check your apps. There are creeds in Scripture like this. The most well-known in the entire Old Testament was called the Shema. In Deuteronomy 6, Jesus referenced it, but it's basically, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And then Jesus weaves in strength. So that was a creed that the Old Testament people of God would recite together and it rallied them together and they lifted their eyes up each time they confessed that together and said, there is one Lord, one Lord, not many deities that we see in Babylon and Assyria and these, there's one God, Yahweh, and we cling to him in faith. The simplest is found, look at Romans 10, 9 in the New Testament. Again, I'm going to, move through it rather quickly, but Romans 10.9 is the earliest Christian creed, and it's Jesus is Lord. Let's say that together. Jesus is Lord. Let's say it a little bit louder. Jesus is Lord. So when the early church gathered together, that was a creed that they recited regularly all through the worship service. They would be saying, 
Jesus is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And friends, that was a revolutionary statement because they lived in a context where the emperor was Lord. And so for them to say Jesus Christ is Lord, they were saying my ultimate allegiance is to him, not to the emperor. And as we've seen in recent weeks, sometimes that could cost you your life. One that we're not going to look at, but another early Christian creed is in Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Esther preached on this several months ago. It's a Christian creed that speaks about Jesus being equal with God. He empties himself. He humbles himself. He dies on the cross. He's exalted, and he's given the name above all names so that the declaration, Jesus Christ is Lord, might glorify the Father. It's another creed right there in the New Testament. Another is 1 Timothy 3.16. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Another creedal statement. He says, without any doubt, the mystery of our faith is great. Christ was revealed in the flesh, vindicated in spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among Gentiles, believed in throughout the world, and taken up in glory. So you can hear some of that will come through the Apostles' Creed. And then I do want you to look at this, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. Again, I'm showing you how creeds are actually in the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament. Condensed statements of biblical truth. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. Paul says, I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Yet another form, kind of an embryonic example of a creed right there in the text. The early church did it. We do it. One that's coming to mind right here that actually is the the essence of the prayer that's used in baptism, Matthew 28. Jesus is formulating something for the church to use for all time, and we baptize what? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so you can see the threads of these creeds used throughout Scripture So why in the world would the early church have these things? Why would Jesus condense something? Why would the Apostle Paul provide these kinds of things? I want you to see on the slide up there. Can you pull up that piece of the broken object there? If you look there, what do you see? It's an ancient object that's broken in two pieces, right? So in the ancient world... Oftentimes, to know that someone was with you, aligned with you, part of you, was you gave them half of something. So it could be half of a piece of pottery. It could be half of a coin. I think of the necklaces that some people have. It says best on one side and friends on the other, and they click together like that. Well, the word that's actually used for creed suggests this very thing. 
By stating the creed, you're doing two things. You're verifying the authenticity of what you're saying and what you're believing. Does it align with the truth of Christianity? Does it align with the Bible? And the other thing that happens is, by clicking those things together, is you're saying, I identify as one who is joined with this community. And so each time we say the creed together, we are saying we believe in what Scripture teaches. We're aligning ourselves with the historic Christian faith. We are little O orthodox people. Orthodox simply means right worship. It's the way that the church worshiped, and we are aligning ourselves with that, and we're identifying. There are many other creeds. One is the Nicene Creed and 325. We're not going to talk about it, but it's a little more elaborate in its description of Jesus in particular. The early church used creeds like this before you could be baptized. So imagine this, friends. Imagine Gretchen leads someone to Jesus, and they say, I am ready to get baptized and make a confession of faith and be a part of the church. And imagine if Gretchen said, well, you can do that one year from now. How do you think people might respond? In the ancient church, that's what they did. They would walk through the basics of the faith with someone. It was called catechesis, training, and then they would say, at the end of that one year of learning the truth and practicing the truth and learning to read the scriptures and pray and fast, then you can be baptized. We're not saying that's what we're going to practice, but the early church meant business. And so they used things like the Apostles' Creed to, to walk people through the essence of the faith and along the way almost to talk them out of it. They would say, are you sure that you want to do this? Because you are putting your life on the line. You are willing to die for the things in the creed. Are you sure you want to do it? And so the person had one year to learn it, to think it through, to watch other people give their life for the sake of the gospel. And most of them actually would follow through, but you had the opportunity to tap out at many moments. So let's look at the creed for a few minutes here. The first line. I'm not reading the whole creed. You can see there. Does everybody have a handout there? Who, who needs a handout? Why don't you wave at me here? Maybe you can look off of someone or maybe if there's some extras. Here, wave at me just so you can see. Keep your hand up and then we'll get you one. It's basically a statement of the creed and then it's got some scripture verses under each one so you can use this Connie put it together thank you Connie once again for providing something like this a tool to help us meditate and read through the truths of scripture we got more Wallace is selling those for five dollars right thank you Wallace 4.99 okay he undercut my five dollar offer we also have we'll have a number of books on the Apostles' Creed that are out in our resource center. I have two out there, and they're $13. It's by a 
a theologian named Alistair McGrath, who was a former atheist and hardcore scientist, and he encountered the truth of Jesus, and it rearranged his life. He's a scholar at Oxford now, devoting his entire life, and he's written a beautiful book on the Apostles' Creed, and I'm going to order more of those. Let me just get a show of hands so I don't overorder. Would you be interested in having a book on the Apostles' Creed? Let me just see. Wave at me. Some of you are saying, I've got too many books. Okay, that at least gives me an idea. There's two out there, so you could go out there and arm wrestle Brad for one of them. If you look there on that handout, the first statement of the Apostles' Creed is, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. The reason I don't want to read the entire creed right now is because there are some things in it that need explanation. And I don't want to open cans of worms without being able to address that. In particular, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Some people are going to say, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? Little c Catholic means worldwide, means universal. So this Apostles' Creed is embraced by Christians all through the Western world, whether you're Protestant or Anglican or whatever tradition you're in, you're basically saying, I believe that the church extends worldwide and I'm part of it. So we'll be looking at some of those things and explaining them and shedding light on them. But this creed begins with, I believe. Friends, this is more than just mental or intellectual assent. All right, it's not just saying, I'm kind of convinced of this. This sounds like a good idea, and I've read some stuff on it, and I kind of believe it. This is one of the weaknesses in Western, Western thought, Western Christianity. It is much more than that. When you say, I believe, just like the early church did, you're saying, I stake my life on this, and I am convinced of this even while I may have questions and doubt that have to be worked out. It does not mean I intellectually believe and fully understand and I am ready to go. That is not the point at all. You're basically saying, I pledge my life to this. I believe, I cling to God, the creator of heaven and earth, even while I've got doubts and questions. And friends, I have told you before, but I'm going to tell you over and over again, I deal with doubts and questions on a daily basis. For those that are closer to me, you know that. There is there's deep things that I have to work through. And so the creed and the Christian faith makes room for struggling, for doubt, for wrestling. Why do you think Paul called it the fight of faith. It is a fight for some of us. Some of us, and I envy this, believe wholeheartedly, you're intellectually convinced everything is good to go, and I look at you and I say, oh, I wish I had that. I struggle with doubt. I struggle with questions. I read the creed and go, now how could that be? And so it drives me to the scriptures and drives me to my knees and I humble myself before God realizing that my brain is tiny and that he is a great mystery and that I am a great mystery as well, the human person is, and so I believe. 
I stake my life on this, even though I may not fully understand every nuance. Some of you can identify with that. One of the greatest quotes. You know when you read a book and there's one thing in the book that just changes your life? And you keep going back to it over and over again and then you copy it and send pictures of it. Well, this is one of those quotes and I want to read it. He's an Eastern Orthodox brother named Callistus Ware and he says this. And I want us to think about this as we say, I believe. Listen to what he says. It is by no means impossible for faith to exist with doubt. The two are not mutually exclusive. There may be some who by God's grace retain throughout their life the faith of a little child, enabling them to accept without question all that they have been taught. But for many of us, listen to what he says, such an attitude is simply not possible. We have to make our own cry, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. For very many of us, this will remain our constant prayer right up to the very gates of death. And I stand before you as your pastor, and that is a prayer that I pray all the time. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Would you grow me? Would you change me? I submit to you, to your word. It is true. I'm limited, but I need you to help me. Lord, have mercy. So I want us to think in terms in the days ahead, it is okay to doubt. It is okay to have questions. And I think young people need to hear that especially because the idea that everything can be nicely packaged and presented and you sign on for it, and it, it may not work that way. And so the Christian faith, do you think God's intimidated by our questions? I remember one day, very, I was in a dark moment, and I was just, you know how you kind of spiral out and you end up at the bottom of the Grand Canyon before it's over? And you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even know if I believe anything. And, and I, in prayer, I was talking to the Lord and he said, I can handle your doubt. I can handle your questions. I can handle all of it. Talk to me about it. And so I have found, frankly, when I'm in those places and I want to believe that I end up on my knees and it's the most powerful place and the most comforting posture I can be in on my knees before my maker saying I believe help my unbelief just seeing here what I want to share this alright and then we'll wrap up in just a few minutes here but I think it's important to think if we're going to be believing and talking about this and affirming it together, why in the world would we believe? You think about that? Why do you believe? Well, my parents told me to. Isn't this what I'm supposed to do? What I want us to think about in the coming weeks is I want you to own it. I want you to look and I want you to ponder prayerfully, why is it you believe? And turn to God in prayer and turn to the word of God with fresh eyes. Why is it I believe? One reason I believe, and I call it the biblical witness, 
It's the power of Scripture itself. The power of the Word of God. In spite of it being attempted to be destroyed, the canon of Scripture was formed and preserved, and it's still the bestseller worldwide. There's something about the biblical witness. And you read Scripture, and it changes your life. It's amazing. Another reason, a communal witness. Write this down. Maybe you can come up with some others, but these are reasons that I believe. It's the communal witness. In addition to the Word of God, it's the people of God. It's the survival. It's the expansion of the church. And I look at that, and I say, that is one reason I believe. The people of God enduring A third one, and this is really important, we saw it in Romans 8. It's called the internal witness. It's the Spirit of God. In Romans 8, Paul talks about it. Our spirit bears witness with God's spirit that we're God's children. And then finally, a transformational witness. It's the work of God in the lives of people. Look around the room right now. We heard Kyle's story recently, but just look around the room. There's a lot of stories in here, friends. It's a transformational witness, the work of God in each of our lives. I call it the apologetic or the argument of changed lives. We have drug addicts. We have people that were on the brink of suicide. We have people that cheated on their spouses. We had people do all kinds of things. We had secret liars and steal. I mean, such were some of us. Right, And yet God enters our lives and transforms us, fills us with his spirit, and it becomes a witness to one another and to the world that God is real. It's not self-help. It's Holy Spirit help. So these are, when I say I believe in God, these are some of the reasons. And so I want you to be thinking, what are the reasons you believe? Brock, those are okay, but I have some other reasons. I believe in God. Let's end with this. Believe in God, the one who is known through creation. Psalm 19, 1 and 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. God is known through creation. So when you say, I believe in God, It's like you're reading the book of nature. There's a book of creation, a book of nature that says God exists. I believe in the God of scripture as well. I think what I'm going to do here is put a pin in this and end here. So we believe in God, the God who created this, all of this, the God of scripture, worship team you can come up I'm going to have a stand here again get ready friends because we're going to be saying the apostles creed together I may come back and address this I may just have the next person move on into the creed but that's okay I think we're at a place we need to be. What I want us to do, I've got Isaiah 40 up here, and I want us to read this, and then I want us to worship in response. 
Isaiah 40, 25 through 31, and it speaks of the creator of heaven and earth. And this is the, uh, the prophet Isaiah, the Lord speaking through him. You can see it on the slide here. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to worship, and then we'll transition into ministry time. Think about this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And listen to what Isaiah 40 says. To whom then will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name, because he is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. So let's worship for a few minutes here and then we'll have ministry time.